This podcast is sponsored by Acres USA, the voice of eco-agriculture. For more than 45 years, the writers, editors, and growing experts at Acres USA have cultivated information about modern farming practices that do not rely on toxic pesticides and toxic herbicides. We share that information through our monthly magazine, our online bookstore, events around the country, and through online articles and podcasts like this. If you're a new farmer or have been farming for a lifetime, you know there's always more to learn. New research into soil life, gut health, and nutrient and mineral applications are changing the way we look at farm management, and the most important part, the future of our soil. At Acres USA, we are committed to finding the experts to teach you these methods and practices. Learn more at www.acresusa.com or by calling 1-800-355-5313. Folks outside the U.S. and Canada can call us at 970-392-4464. If your business would like to advertise or sponsor the Tractor Time podcast, spots are available. Contact us today to find out more, and thank you for listening to Tractor Time. We are in a revolution, but it is a revolution in which the side that fires the first shot loses. We will not fire any shots because our weapon is uncommon good sense. Day and welcome to the Tractor Time Podcast brought to you by Acres USA. My name is Ryan Slaybaugh. I'll be your host today. This is episode number 22. And uh, it's a little unique from the others. Uh, we are usually doing them in the comforts of my office back in Greeley, Colorado. For most recordings, it's me, a microphone, an interview guest, and my dog snoring somewhere in the corner. Uh, if you need the full picture, I even prop a sign up in the window door on my office that says on air, but that's really just for me. It makes me feel official. Uh, but so does the scene where I am today. Uh, today we're broadcasting from Belize, specifically Belmapan, Belize, at the inaugural Tropical Agriculture Festival. It's about an hour inland. Uh, we first met one of the organizers, Beth Roberson, a Belizean farmer in Columbus, Ohio, last year during our annual EcoAg conference. Uh, Beth left inspired to start her own educational conference down here picked our brains a bit over the following months and recruited some of our speakers and former Tractor Time guests like uh, Ranaldo Hazamerican, a regenerative poultry specialist, uh, Regeneration International's Andre Lou, among others. Uh, but let me set the stage a bit uh, so you can have a picture in your head as you're listening to the people uh, speak today. Uh, we're going to show some highlights from the conference. Uh, Belize is a small country of about uh, 350,000 people. Just south of Mexico and east of Guatemala, it's known for having the second largest reef in the world off its coast and for being an English colony until the early 1980s. The country, uh, very proud of its freedom now, is still finding its feet. The Guatemalan president threatens with invasion and England still has a small standing army here as a reminder to their neighbors. Uh, Belmopan is a small town of a few thousand, wears a few scars. The main roads are paved, most are not. Uh, but a fountain roundabout greets visitors on the western highway as you come into town. A bar restaurant called Cheers <clears throat> excuse me, greets guests as they arrive into town before a roundabout. I met the owner at the conference, uh, the Tropical Agriculture Conference, and she told me she also runs a small farm behind it that includes horses, sheep, cattle, goats, and chickens. A few crops, and yes, she composts from the restaurant for the chickens. On the other side of the highway, the entrance uh, to a national park. Uh, inside the town, a large agriculture grounds with stages, test gardens, and plenty of native trees. This is where the conference was held this week. Um, the event started with a national anthem, sung by an eight-year-old schoolgirl. is beautiful. It's clear from the anthem that the country does not want tyrants and colonizers, and it's clear that they want to be a free country, although they are still grappling with which economy will drive its future. Uh, the tourism economy, which favors hotels and airports and large ports, or will they choose a more local economy where manufacturing, agriculture, and jobs uh, will fill the gap, uh, or at least non-service jobs will fill the gap? Uh, agriculture, though, has to have some part. <clears throat> at least it'd be silly not to. Uh, pineapples, mangoes, bananas, jackfruits uh, grow everywhere around here. From any city, it doesn't take long to be in the country, where anyone could be taken in by a variety of flora, fauna, wildlife, uh, which range from toucans to jaguars to crocodiles. Uh, our first hour in the country, as we pulled into our hotel, the sound of howler monkeys greeted us, scared us. Uh, here you go, here's a listen. Yeah, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Those are howler monkeys. Um, the next day, the conference began. Uh, we heard a resounding call to action from Ronnie Cummings, 
on the board with Regeneration International, which was followed by two days of educational speeches on five different stages, ranging from permaculture to seed saving to agritourism. Uh, some are translated into uh, Kimchi, uh, Mayan language. Some are translated into Spanish. Uh, all the speeches were rooted in how Belize can transform its agriculture into one of the world's best. And no matter what, you have to give something to a country that starts its weekends on Thursday nights. Here's what clips you can find on the podcast um, following here. Uh, you'll, you'll hear some thumping in the background, some truck noise. I apologize for those recording issues. I'm still learning this stuff too, but I uh, wasn't counting on so much foot stomping on stage when I set up the microphone on a couple of them, uh, nor could I do much about the nearby highway traffic. Uh, you're going to hear from Ronnie Cummins, again, board member of Regeneration International who started off the conference. Uh, it's about 15 minutes or so and full of fire and fury. You're going to hear Taylor Walker, a uh, biodiverse systems designer, uh, garden designer, talking about edible food and edible decorations. Uh, just a snippet of him talking about some of the local uh, trees that really thrive here in Belize. Uh, you're going to hear from Christopher Nesbitt, a regenerative agriculturist uh, and a character. Uh, he spent 30 years restoring a piece of damaged land in the Maya foothills. His land is now filled with more than 500 species of plants, uh, all of which are harvestable. Uh, his talk was about his regenerative work. Uh, and we include a piece about his biodiversity. And Santiago Juan, excuse me, was our is our last speaker, and he uh, talks about agro-tourism in Belize and what that could mean to the country's future. Uh, he talks about the million and a half visitors they get every year and how most of them are in the coastal areas and how the farmers could benefit from some of that tourism. Uh, alas, the discussion uh, was a bit controversial. Uh, some Belizean farmers weren't too sure they wanted hordes of camera-toting Westerners posing with their pigs, but uh, alas, the discussion assuaged some fears and again showed what it is to be gained or lost uh, in this wonderful country, one that is still building itself into an autonomous, self-sustained citizen of the world. And again, sorry for the popping the audio. Um, that's it. And a few rambles for me in between each one. Uh, thanks for reading and listening. Um, you can find the Track for Time podcast in the iTunes store or at www.acresusa.com or ecofarmingdaily.com. It's a bunch of other places too. Uh, thanks for listening today. We hope you like what follows here, which includes uh, Ronnie Cummins to start us, a uh, board member of Regeneration International, starting the Tropical Agriculture Conference in Belmopan, Belize. Buenos dias, good day. Thank you for coming out today. And especially, I want to thank you for the work you do every day. Because we've got about 7 billion people on the planet. Half of these people are farmers or rural villagers. And we are going to have to have cooperation between the consumers of the world, the food consumers, and consumers of fiber consumers of agricultural products, and the farmers and ranchers. If we don't have this cooperation, we are not going to survive much longer. Uh, scientists say we have 12 years left to turn things around, to move from degeneration to regeneration. And it's very, it's very simple when you look at it. We have too much carbon in the sky and too much carbon in the ocean. We have 800 billion tons in the sky. When our ancestors were alive in 1750, uh, we had more like 600 billion tons of carbon in the atmosphere. We put 200 billion tons of carbon in the atmosphere and more than that into the oceans. How? because we burned fossil fuels and we didn't know any better and because we cut down the forests and we destroyed the fertility of the soil and we lost our relationship with nature, with animals, with our own souls. I mean, what is regenerative agriculture? This is not some new thing that we thought of, you know, four years ago. For 8,000 years, traditional people, indigenous people, farmed and raised animals in a regenerative way. 8,000 years. All the food was organic in, in the Belize area. All the food was organic in Europe, Asia, Latin America, 
until about the Second World War. And then the companies that had been making bombs with ammonium nitrate, they didn't have, they couldn't make as many bombs and kill as many people anymore. We killed 55 million people in the Second World War. And these companies got very rich and very powerful. Then they had ammonium nitrate. They said, what are we going to do with all this? Chemical fertilizer. That's what chemical fertilizer is. It comes from the bomb industry. Uh, and instead of bombing people, now we bomb nature, you know? And it's, uh, and what are, what are pesticides? This is nerve gas. This is what the armaments companies used in Auschwitz and the concentration camps and, you know, used on the battlefields to kill people. And so at the end of the Second World War, the, the big companies like Bayer and Monsanto, uh, Dow, DuPont, the same ones that run the world today, they said, what are we going to do with all this poison gas? And some scientists said, oh, we can kill insects and weeds with this poison gas. And they, they were able to convince people a little bit of poison is all right. Everything you eat, unless it's organic, unless it's traditional, has a little bit of poison in it. And the scientists tell us, oh, don't worry, a little poison doesn't hurt you. Well, we're now starting to learn different. So, regenerative agriculture means recapturing these traditions of the indigenous people, of the traditional people, of our ancestors, you know. But it also, we learned some things in the last hundred years, uh, organic farmers, permaculture people, we improved a little bit. Some of the things we learned, we actually can do it better than our Mayan uh, ancestors, or than our, I mean, we all come from, we all come from Africa or India. That's where, that's where our human family began. You know, and we have learned some things in the last hundred years that are improvements. We know how to do some things we didn't know before. Um, but we have to look at the situation right now. If we don't take down 25% of that carbon that's in the atmosphere and the, the stop putting greenhouse gases in the ocean, our children are going to live in hell on earth. That's it. Do you want your children and your grandchildren to live in hell? Well then, let the government keep on acting the way they do. Let the big corporations keep on acting like the way they do. Let consumers keep on acting the way they do. Let investors keep on acting the way they do. And we're all going to hell. You know, that's where that's where we're going and you see the evidence in every country in the world 195 countries signed an agreement in Paris including Belize in 19 uh, in 2015 agreeing to stop doing this but we're moving too slowly so by regeneration we're just talking about making all of creation, making all of living nature uh, stronger again, like, like she once was. You know, how do we get this carbon out of the atmosphere and back down to the ground to make the earth fertile, to make the plants healthy, to make the animals healthy, to make the humans healthy, to make societies healthy? Well, it's photosynthesis, it's nature. You know, it's our relationship to the plants, to the soil, to the animals, to one another. Because we were born that way, we know what is right and what is wrong. And we gotta start acting like that. And so, we have, yes, we have to get away from burning fossil fuels in the global north because we've put too much uh, greenhouse gas carbons in the atmosphere 
But we also have to change the way we farm, the way we eat, the way we think about animals, the way we think about nature. And the good news is that we can change this situation starting today, if you haven't already started. You know, if you're a food consumer, we're all food consumers. When you pull out your wallet to buy something, think before you spend it. You know, think about what's right, what's good for you, what's good for your kids, what's good for your community, what's good for the earth, what's good for the animals, what's good for the future. Stop consuming products without thinking about it. You know, we're all going to eat. Think before you put that fork up to your mouth, that spoon up to your mouth. Think before you cook something in your kitchen, you know, for yourself and your family. It all starts today. Um, you're going to hear uh, panelists today like uh, Andre Lowe, among others, uh, Fernando from, from Brazil, others, who are going to tell you exactly how farmers and ranchers uh, and forest dwellers around the world are already doing this. Every country in the world already has farmers and ranchers and fisher people who have already, they're doing the right thing. It's, it's happening. In Belize, you have examples of the finest regenerative agriculture in the whole world. You know, you have these, you have these agroforestry systems, you have these silvopasture systems, you have people who never stopped uh, doing things traditionally, they're right here. The question is, how do you make the best practices in agriculture the norm? You know, what is Belize doing importing all this poison food, you know, from outside the country? I mean, how can you have ecotourism in a country like this? Tourism is, you know, more people come here as tourists than they come here as, uh, than live here. But they're coming as tourists, and what do they eat? What do they eat on the cruise ships? They eat crap, you know? I mean, what do they eat in the big hotels? They eat crap. It's got poison in it, you know? It comes from factory farms. It comes from GMOs. It comes from overdosing the, the land with chemical fertilizer. We all know this. We got to change this. Ecotourism means ecotourism. And that includes the food you eat and the implications. Uh, we have to, we got to take a hard look too at the politics of the world. Okay? You can't have regeneration if you have degenerate public policies that only benefit the wealthy, that only benefit short-term profits, that refuse to look at climate change, that refuse to look at the deteriorating health of the people that refuse to look at the poverty of rural people. We need a regenerated political system. I was really happy to hear the, your Minister of Agriculture yesterday speak. That's the only Minister of Agriculture in the whole world who talks like that. We need more people like that. And in Belize, you have, you're fortunate, you can uh, you can affect this country. The whole world needs to see Belize leading the way in terms of you've got 70% of your forest left. You know, you can turn this country into a leader, not only in Mesoamerica, but a leader in the whole world. There's a few countries that are in the position of Belize that can be real leaders. Costa Rica is one of them. Uruguay is one of them. Uh, some of the Scandinavian countries, Norway, Finland, and so on, uh, are in a similar position. The big countries of the world are not leading right now. I mean, yes, we're making, we're making strides moving to alternative energy, but we're, we're still eating and farming and treating the land like degenerates. And this has to stop, you know. Okay, so what do we have to work with? We got to pull down 200 billion tons 
from the atmosphere. How are we going to do this? All right, the world has seven, a little over seven billion people. Half of the people in the world, like Belize, live in rural areas. This is the key, okay? The other thing is the key is tropical agriculture. No matter what we do in Europe, no matter what we do in Canada and the United States, it's not enough. We cannot pull down that 200 billion tons of carbon from the atmosphere and stop putting it in the ocean without a transformation in tropical agriculture. The, the areas of the world that are tropical or subtropical, you have the most degraded soils, because partly because of the deforestation. Okay, but you also have the capacity to rejuvenate those soils very quickly. This is the only hope of the whole world, is if the people who live in the tropical and subtropical regions of the country can obtain the help, the finances, the investment, the support from consumers to help your best farmers and ranchers teach the other farmers and ranchers how to do this. We can't do it in the global north. We're, we are trying our best, but the bottom line is the earth will survive or the earth will go down based on what you and others in the global south are able to do. So all I can say is that we are in solidarity. Solidarity is not a question of uh, people in the global north saying, oh, there's a lot of poor people in the south, there's a lot of people who don't have enough food to eat. Forget that. We need you because we're not going to survive without you changing, you know? And we can be helpful to you uh, in the meantime uh, because we have robbed in the global north the resources of the global south for 500 years. You know, we have a debt to pay, but it's more than a debt. We're all in this together. So, again, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for what you do every day. And I want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do from now on every day. And our children, I believe, I have a 20-year-old son. My son, I think, is going to be able to live his whole life and have children on a, on a planet that's not living hell. But the next 10 years, what you do, what I do, what all of us do around the world, we're either going to start moving in a regenerative direction or it's going to get very, very, very difficult for our children and our grandchildren. So thank you very much. That was Ronnie Cummins again, uh, firing at the crowd before the start of the Tropical Agriculture Conference. Uh, the next highlight I recorded uh, was from Taylor Walker. He's a jack-of-all-trades uh, farmer who designs gardens, permaculture environments, including the Naples Botanical Gardens, Inland Ecology Research Group, Sanibel Sea School, among others. Uh, Belize, he's managing the Tropical Agroforestry Farm System. Uh, he's amazingly knowledgeable on species and how they grow together and how biodiversity can work together at this climate. Um, here's a bit of his talk as he walks about 50 to 60 people in his class through specific plants uh, that grow well in Belize. This is again Taylor Walker. Traditionally people ate a lot more crops and they ate very seasonally where now what we're seeing is people are eating more of the same crops year-round. So I definitely advocate for a seasonal diet and eating diversity. Eat stuff you like, but you know, try new things, and there's a lot of different crops out there. So there's 40,000 plus species of edible crops, and some of these species have up to 10,000 or more varieties. So there's literally millions of different edible crops, different varieties, different species that you can grow. There's so many that haven't been grown in Belize yet that I think will grow here, and there's a lot that are already grown here and available here. So we're going to focus more on those that are already more established here. So we're going to talk a little bit about multi-layered food production. 
So this is a topic you'll see again and again in some of these different presentations about agroforestry and ecological farming. And the idea is that in nature, plants don't grow just in one level in a, a monoculture by themselves like you would see in agricultural you know, co uh, commodity farming like corn and other crops. Plants grow in multiple layers, including ground covers, herbs, shrubs, um, small trees, canopy trees, and then vines even growing up the trees. You also have the layer in the ground of different fungus and beneficial organisms that make up a big part of the system. So the idea is that when you have these multiple layers, you have multiple different variations in sunlight, moisture, um, and overall just airflow as well. So there's certain species that prefer different things. Some species need more sunlight and more airflow to stay um, free of various diseases that they're susceptible to. Some species like to be in very stagnant areas with a lot of humidity in the air, and it really depends on what you're growing. So by planting these multiple layers, we're able to put a lot more diversity into one area. You can put a species that likes sunlight here, and then an edible species beneath that that likes partial shade, and then one beneath that that likes heavy shade. So you can grow multiple species in one place and have more of a variety by stacking these different layers. This is a picture here of a young breadfruit tree, and in the background on the little hill there's pineapple and yellow ginger and ginger, and there's chaya as well, so there's a lot of species in one small area. This is yellow ginger. Here's another diagram just kind of showing a little bit about um, these multiple layers. So often here in the tropics we have palms as our, our highest canopy layer. So you either, typically in most systems you see around here, tallest trees are legume trees or palms. So you can see in this diagram, the skinnier trees are representing those. They're coming up through the canopy. You have your mid-level trees. You have your lower, you know, small trees, your shrubs. You can even see in the diagram vines growing up the various trees. For our purposes, a lot of these fruit trees and perennial plants do much better in a multi-species planting. Here's an example of a young ecological, this is be more of a farm setting. Um, this has bananas coming in, pigeon pea, chaya, sweet potato, um, oregano, edible leaf hibiscus, a variety of crops, there's sugarcane in the background. So what we're trying to do is to mimic our edible landscape, our ecological gardens, a little bit more like a natural system. So if you clear land here in this region right here, or in you know, similar type of ecosystems, we have multiple different ecotypes in Belize, but in a a jungle system or a cohoon jungle or whatever you want to call it, if you clear the land, it's going to naturally try to grow back into a, a jungle. It's going to want to grow back into, you know, a young forest, you know, heading towards a jungle. So when we look at what species and what type of plants form those assemblies of what we call weeds or pioneer plants, we can get some ideas of how we should mimic and how we should design our edible landscapes. So when you clear land here, you're going to see a variety of hardy grasses, vines, herbaceous weeds, um, many thorny plants, and often opportunistic legumes. So by modeling our gardens after these natural systems, we take advantage of some of these natural processes that are occurring that will occur you know, for millennia as long as we don't disrupt these systems. So th these examples of these would be nutrient cycling, groundwater recharge, carbon sequestration, evaporative cooling, nitrogen fixation, beneficial fungi and microbial activity, uh, predatory organisms, and diverse symbiotic relationships. So having a garden that's in a row setting or only one level of plants, that's the furthest away from that natural succession that I described. When you clear land, you don't see one type of plant coming and it's very neat and clean underneath it. You see a wild mix. That's why our garden should look a little more wild. You can have a manicured version of wild but by having these multiple species with ground covers and shrubs and vines and all these things I described, you're, you're leveling the playing field a little bit. Having a manicured garden where everything's one level and perfect and clean on the ground is the farthest away from nature that you can get. Therefore, it's going to require the most energy to maintain that system. The more we can mimic our landscapes or farms after a natural system, the more we take advantage of these natural processes and synergies and the less energy we have to put into the system which is very important, especially when you're talking about you know, the home landscape where often you have a job and you have a whole life and this is more of just something on the side, it's not your job. So you want this to be easy and productive. You don't want to be spending all your time and effort dealing with this.
Again, that was Taylor Walker. You'll find all these audio and video on YouTube. They were recording as much as they possibly could while they were here, which was a feat. Uh, it's been raining for most of two days too, which is always damaging to electronics. So uh, kudos to Beth and everybody for figuring this one out down here. Uh, the next piece of audio I wanted to share from Christopher Nesbitt, a regenerative agriculture who spent 30 years restoring a piece of damaged land in the Maya foothills. Uh, he's a fascinating man who, who moved down in his early 20s, wandered through the jungle as he put it, and uh, now has a land filled with more than 500 species of plants, almost all of which are harvestable. Uh, his talk was about his work and, and how he got to this point, so here's just a piece. energy returned on invested what we're looking for is food that's going to give us a lot of yield and it's not going to cost a lot of energy to do it um, and so uh, we have a picture here of something called uh, Articarpus uh, comanci also known as bread nut or castaña in Spanish and this is in my opinion this is probably the most important potential food uh, for, for farmers every farm in Belize should have this because if your corn crop fails, this is not going to fail. This is not going to fail, and you can get a lot of food from a single tree, um, and it's 11% protein and 5% fat, and so it's fantastic food. You can eat it. I did six months eating nothing but that. I didn't eat rice, I didn't eat flour, I didn't eat carn, just to see if I could survive off of it. I did. My diet got really boring, I could tell you. Uh, and I remember my first plate of rice and beans was like ambrosial, it was heaven. So, but it is possible, and what we're looking at in the very near future is a time when our corn crops may fail because of lack of rain, or our rice may fail because of too much rain. And what we want to do is we're looking at these tree species because they have deep roots and they're able to withstand inundation, and because they have deep roots, they're able to access moisture that short-rooted grasses cannot access. So these are some of the species. I'm gonna do a comparison. Uh, between annuals like corn, which can produce up to uh, point, uh, half a ton to four tons per hectare in Belize. Uh, rice can produce up to 10 tons per hectare, uh, typically produces less than that. Uh, common bean can produce up to five tons per hectare, typically produces less than that. Uh, and soybean, which can produce up to 6.2 tons per hectare. Now, that's a significant amount of food, but we're, we're talking more than just the kilograms we're getting out of the land. We're also looking at the energy that goes into doing that. To do any of those, you're working to create a static condition of a field of rice, beans, or corn. It means you're spending a lot of energy to stop the, the biological inevitable of succession, where other species want to get in and get established and grow. So you, you're, you're doing weed control and you're chopping. And what we're talking about doing with these other trees is taking succession and just working with it. Anybody see somebody who studies Aikido? Aikido is this martial art where somebody throws a punch and you take their hand and you throw them effortlessly across the room. I used to do a little bit of martial arts, so it's never any good. You could probably all beat me up. But I had a friend of mine who was into Aikido and I sparred with him. And every time I put any effort into anything, he would just throw me around the room. He was really, you know. Um, anyway, that's what we're, we're working on, the equivalent of biological Aikido. We're working with nature's energy to do that. So the species that we're promoting and that we're talking about here include uh, Sacha Inchi, which there's a lot of work, uh, work talk about Sacha Inchi because the oil uh, has omega-3 oils, which is, can usually only be sourced in fish. Uh, you can get up to four tons of that per, per hectare, and that uh, produces oil and protein. Uh, the Articarpus altilis, or breadfruit, which is very common in Belize, can produce up to 16 tons per hectare, and that's starch. Uh, the Articarpus heterophylla, also known as jackfruit, can produce, uh, needs more research. I couldn't actually get the numbers on that, but if anybody who's seen a tree knows it's very, very productive. And that produces fruit, oil, and starch. Um, the Brassum malacostrum, which is native to Belize. Anybody who's spent time wandering around in jungle lost, like I used to do back in my 20s, will know that anywhere you find a Maya ruin, there's gonna be Ramon trees close to it. They're all, all out there in the bush in high abundance. And a, a, uh, uh, an, a hectare of Ramon can produce up to 7.5 uh, tons per hectare. Um, 
uh, da, 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 and that actually produces protein and a little bit of oil and some starch. Uh, Bactris gassipace or peach palm, southern Belize is still in the range where peach palm naturally occurs. They call peach palm pechibaya in, in Spanish and they have other names for it. Uh, that can produce up to, oh yeah, 30 tons per hectare and it produces primarily starch but it also produces a little bit of protein and oil in the seed. Uh, the bread, uh, bread nut, which I mentioned in the other slide, can produce up to 11 tons per hectare. And that is one of the, that is, that is my favorite tree of all. It is sort of like my wife, it produces for nine months of the year, and my wife and I go out every morning with buckets and pick up bread nut, and we use it to feed. We have fed pigs in the past, we're not presently in the pig business. Uh, but we, we, we raise poultry with it, and it's, that's also like a fantastic food. Energy return on energy invested, once it's established, is literally going out with a, pigta a pigtail bucket and a machete and scooping up buckets full of food. Again, that was Christopher Nesbitt, a permaculturist. Uh, finally, our last highlight. Uh, Santiago Juan, born and raised in the Cayo district of Belize, owns and operates a resort farm in the country. He spoke about agritourism, though, and how Belize can use its organic lands, pristine wilderness, and local food production to create a unique, authentic experience. One side note, his talk was not without some controversy, as some Belizean farmers weren't too sure they wanted hordes of camera-toting Westerners posing with the pigs. But alas, the discussion calmed some fears, but again showed what is to be gained or lost in such a wonderful country, one that is still building itself into an autonomous, self-sustained citizen of the world. It was, though, heartwarming to hear the discussion, to hear the cooperation going on, and to hear them working through the challenges that they have. Again, here's Santiago Juan leading a discussion and a talk about agritourism and the future of Belize. That's one and a half million people visited our country. You could imagine if we had 5% of that half a million people who came to our country stay on a farm, how much more income our farmers would have achieved. But we need to be proud of ourselves. We're going to get into that. So, worldwide, people have become aware of a different way of life. And this is what Albert Tourism wants to do. For example, I also take issue with the Chamber of Commerce when they allow import permits for beef or for pork. Again, I just traveled through Europe and the entire objective in Europe right now, well in England it's called buy the little red tractor, that's their new logo, that's a new thing with Brexit. But the rest of Europe is all about grain, moving away from grain fed. There's all of these words like free range, organic. We already have that. And why do we want to move away from that while the world has already moved away from what they have and moving towards what we have? We're shooting ourselves in our foot again. It, it appears that we do this in a lot of industries. I'm very critical, by the way, and I'm a devil's, devil's advocate. That doesn't mean I'm right. It just means I'm critical. So, the, the entire world is moving away from this. We have a wonderful opportunity in Belize with a newly formed um, group in North America, Airbnb. Everybody's heard of Airbnb. Airbnb promotes travelers that are willing to come to a country to experience a country. To experience a country, who we are, what we are. Let them decide if they want to stay at a five-star place or a little bed and breakfast in a village in San Antonio, Punta Gorda or San Antonio, um, Cayo District. It really doesn't matter. Let them decide. If we allow that to happen, agritourism has massive potential for Belize. Because, as we all know, the diversity in food we have on these farms is tremendous. We can do a better job. We can do an absolute better job. But agritourism gives us the opportunity to have higher income into our, into our farms that can then pay for developing farms better. Because we're always cash strapped. But if we allow more people to visit us to in rural Belize, we will have a tremendous more income to these farms. I'll give you an example. Everybody takes everybody's Belizean here mostly, or lives here for a while. Everybody knows what we call a wish willy. 
which is the spiny tail iguana or the gray iguana if we're talking to our international guests when we're conducting an official tour. But it's a wish, Willie. We all know they, they like to live along the riversides. If I have, on a farm, if I have some big, beautiful guanacaste trees, like in the Cayo district, I can cut those trees and mill them into lumber, and I might get 500 Belize dollars for that tree, I don't know. Maybe a less, maybe a little more. If I leave that tree there, and every day, I go past with five or six or 10 people, and on that tree I see iguanas, I see toucans, that individual who is already employed to take that official tour is getting already a salary, right? If I leave that tree there, I can guarantee you that if they're birders and they see a toucan or a, or a species they have not seen yet, that is new to their list, the tip that that young man or that young lady will get is more than I would want to pay them for sure. Because if there's five people, everybody gives them, say, a $5, that's 25 US, that's $50. Well, that's a little around where I pay. So their salary doubles just by changing our concept. If we cut that tree, we'll make a few furnitures and that's it. If we leave that tree there, it enhances. All our tour guides, strawberries, show every single guest the allspice. Oh, wow, wonderful. Because there's an allspice tree there, you walk by, you crunch the leaf, it's a nice smell, it enhances the tour. We have a tremendous amount of trees like allspice that have other things like fresh fruit. One of the most beautiful things, for example, I am in, I'm into horseback riding, is I ride through a citrus grove. It's not even mine, the citrus grove, I just ride through it, and we pluck oranges going along. The owners don't really care. <laughs> and if they do, they've never said something in the last 15 years. So, that has increased the value of what we do. And the more we think like this, the more we can bring people into our farms to experience these things. They don't have to stay there. For example, to milk cacao I had mentioned before. How many people have milk cacao? Even in Belize, very few. There's a milk cup, there's a farmer here. But it is, it is a wonderful experience. Or to tend to the chickens, or to, to tend to the sheep, or to garden. We don't, we don't, we, these are concepts that are foreign to, not, to us, but are very much welcoming to our international guests. They would love to have these things. And there's ways to set these things up very easily without additional investments. So agritourism, I guess I need to move my slideshow it, it is trying to connect food, people, and shared experiences. And that is for us already very easy because we are naturally very welcoming people. We like to talk to people. We just love to run off. So if I'm going above my hour, you let me know. We went through this slide. Anyway, this is not working that well. What agrotourism, the potential it has for us, for example, how many foreign guests knows how to prepare a corn tortilla, or a flour tortilla, or a boyo, or a tamale, or potato pong, or cassava bread. There's a huge amount of culinary expertise that we take for granted, that guests love. Christy is not here right now. Christy is from Cheers. She was here earlier. And she was asking the, the previous presenter, does Ramon grow in the Pine Ridge? Well, unfortunately, it doesn't do well in her Pine Ridge on that area. But in the Pine Ridge, if for those who don't know, has the most diverse, small savanna flowers. And there's people that travel around the world looking for these flowers. And they don't know that we have it. Birds, ground birds, all the meadowlarks are in those savannas. It's a tremendous wealth that's just sitting there. We drive through it and it looks barren. It's not barren. We can capitalize on what we have. We don't have to change the landscape. Another issue I take with, with the tourist boards is that there's a tremendous amount of people who visit our country who think we're an island because we emphasize so much on the coastal richness we have and so little on the interior resources that we have. And in, uh, interiorly we have more and we can cater more for them. Now, the concept of agritourism 
is to bring these people in. Now, that's the good news. We need to be cautious of how we do it also. It's a delicate dance between development and destruction. And many will argue that for development there has to be some destruction. I don't believe that. I believe that we can develop and enrich ourselves, both financially, spiritually, utilizing what we have without having to destroy anything, without having to modify anything. And we have the resources for that. Our country is so perfectly zoned. Nature gave us zoning. We have the humid tropics a little farther down south. We have a little more arid terrains up in the northern districts. The Cairo district, well, is a perfect district. We share both, for those who are not from Cairo. Um, Central Belize has one of the most fertile valleys, has some very old traditions, some very beautiful old villages um, in, the, in the upper Belize River Valley. All of these things can be capitalized within agrotourism. And the distances from anywhere in Belize are so short. And the infrastructure already mostly, not always, but mostly exists there. From Balmopan to San Ignacio is a little rough right now, but I see they're working on that. Um, if we can capitalize on the resources, every guest that comes to our, to our soil should leave completely broke. We should have enticed them to spend every last penny. One of the greatest things Mexico and Costa Rica have over Belize is marketing. Nothing else. I lived in Costa Rica for four years in Limón as a young student, and I lived in Mexico for two as a student. They have nothing more than Belize can offer. Nothing except marketing. If you hear about Costa Rica, they talk about Monteverde, which is their greatest achievements, a beautiful rainforest they have. My farm is bigger than Monteverde, and that's a fact. In other words, they don't have anything more than we have. But what they have been able to do is package an image and market it, and their people enjoy meeting international guests. And we, if we are to focus in tourism, and I have a, a, a slight balance emotionally here because I'm a farmer, and I'm in tourism, and they can, they can be conflicting, but they don't have. And, but, so I chose specifically to talk about agritourism because I firmly think Belize is an ideal location for it because it can work. We have so much going for us and it's so easy to put it together. It just need, requires one thing, which unfortunately we don't have. And it's a change of mindset for agritourism. The development, I'll have nothing against five-star hotels, don't get me wrong, I, I would love to stay at them, I just can't afford them. But that is not who we are. That is not who we are. We are um, humble people. That market already exists. Cancun has as many five-star hotels as needed. If you read any book that was published about Belize and tourism from the 1980s to about 2000, every one of them the rough guy, the lonely planet, and there's a, there's a whole number of them, there's a large number of them. They all say the sleepy fishing town of Hopkins, the fishing town of Placencia, the beautiful laid-back people of San Pedro. That's no longer so. We have successfully destroyed that. We don't have to continue destroying the rest of the country, though, because we can learn from those examples. They're no longer sleepy backward villages that created the industry. Backpackers in Belize created the industry in the 70s and 80s. And now we're pushing them away because they don't have apparently the big box to pay for it. But all we're doing now is concentrating wealth into those who can afford the industry. And the industry is for everybody. The resources are for everybody. Now, how can that help because this talk has to be not only agritourism, it has to be focused on regenerative agriculture practices. So how can that help? How can we bring a regenerative agriculture into international experiences? Well, very, very easy. We all hear about eating local, reducing your carbon footprint, trying different foods, different experiences. Regenerative agriculture plays right into that. Birding, hiking. We don't have to cut trees down 
to have value for them now, okay? But we cannot also depend only on tourism. We have to have, I still am old fashioned, and I say food security, Nesbitt says food sovereignty. It doesn't matter which terminology we use, we're talking pretty much about the same thing. We have to guarantee that Belize grows in a positive direction for all of us, and at the same time, at the same time, preserving our naturally occurring resources that we have, and we have a lot of them. We do not only have the barrier reef, we do not only have fly fishing, we have so much to offer. I, have, I am a living witness that agritourism works. On Airbnb, I have about 15 rooms on my farm, which I inherited from my parents, and I'm on Airbnb. I don't even call it by its registered name at BTB. At BTB, at BTB it's called Hannah Stables or, or Nabitunich. On the online, it's called an organic farm state. And I did that intentionally. When, you, when, when somebody types in the word organic, I will show up. They don't know that I'm in Belize, but I will show up. If I type in Belize, I'm already, I've already reduced myself from the other 100 and odd countries that are out there. Because it, as Google works, it narrows in your searches. And you don't want that. You want a broad base of people looking for you. So agritourism has a tremendous potential, but we have to do differently. It is not about having the nicely tight floors and, and, and the brand new SUVs and, and all of these fancy things. That is only part of it. That is also necessary. But most of us in this room, if we're realistic, to achieve that, we would have to go to Central Bank. And Central Bank will look at us and say, well, you can come back on an appointment. They don't really want to see us. But Agritourism takes what, what, who we are, what we are, and puts a value to that. And puts a value to that. A monetary value. Capitalism is a destructive tool, but it can also be a constructive tool. We can, we can utilize what we have, add a physical monetary value to it, to enhance our wealth, our comfort, and our environment. And it's easily done. Was Santiago Juan speaking on agritourism and the future of Belize and what's at stake? But that's going to do it for our program. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience with the new format this week, the different format this week. Uh, I do have another day in Belize to tour and sightsee before I'm heading back to the States. Uh, I will return a wiser individual having traveled here, having learned from the locals, and having met, of course, a howler monkey or two. And one note before I totally sign off. Our conference in Louisville, Kentucky is coming up fast, December 4th through 7th, and I hope to see a lot of you there. If you listen to Tractor Time, please stop me and say hello and offer an idea for the program. Uh, we did launch a new website a couple weeks ago at www.acresusa.com. That's the entire excuse I had to take a month off from recording this podcast. So uh, please log on and justify uh, that month of hard work spent. And thanks again for listening to Tractor Time Podcast brought to you by Acres USA. You can find the podcast in the iTunes store or at www.acresusa.com or at ecofarmingdaily.com. Uh, it's a bunch of other places to uh, Google it. Thanks for helping us grow our food. Uh, appreciate it and have a good week.